0: Well, this morning we have the privilege of looking into God's Word found in Psalm 21. As we begin, I'd like to give us just a brief overview of the form and structure of the psalm, and I think that will help us appreciate these truths more deeply. Really, the main idea of Psalm 21 is rejoicing in the Lord's strength. That's the call that's given there in the first verse, and then again in the last verse. You can organize this psalm into two main sections. The first section is brings you up through verse 6, where we learn that the Lord in his strength blesses. And then the second section begins in verse 8 and takes you through verse 12, where we learn that the Lord in his strength judges. The first and the last verse, verse 1 and verse 13, kind of operate as sort of bookends, reminding us, giving parallel expressions of praise and thanks to God for his strength. Verse 7 in the middle functions as a sort of hinge, between transitioning uh, the reader from the section on B- God's strength and blessing to then God's strength in judgment. And I think our understanding and appreciation of Psalm 21 will be helped when we remember that Psalm 21 shares a connection with the psalm that came before, Psalm 20. I don't know if you remember last week when Steve Kubik was, I was preaching, he was telling us about that connection, that Psalm 20 was preceding Psalm 21, not just numerically in our Bibles, but in thematic content as well. Psalm 20 is full of prayer requests for Israel's king as they anticipate going into battle. And Psalm 21, which we're looking at this morning, contains celebration for the victory that God, in his strength, accomplished for Israel. So, where Psalm 20 is pleading to God for victory, Psalm 21 is celebrating the victory that God achieved. And it's helpful for us to remember Psalm 20 and 21 are companions because Psalm 21 is so full of celebration. It's full of this confident language. But not all of our days as Christians are days of celebration and confident language. And we need to remember that Psalm 21, which we're looking at this morning, comes after Psalm 20. And you're like, well, that's obvious because of the numbers. But no, what I'm trying for us to understand as we look into Psalm 21 is that the celebration of faith in Psalm 21 comes after the prayer of faith in Psalm 20. So in other words, the celebration that we see in Psalm 21 is the result of God's answer to the prayer that was given in Psalm chapter 20. And I mention this as we get started just to make sure that we keep a biblical balance in our expectations on the Christian life. The Christian life includes many occasions to celebrate answered prayer. Read Psalm 21. And at the same time, the Christian life includes many occasions when God's people cry out to him for strength and salvation. And that's Psalm 20. So, as we begin looking into this psalm, I want for wherever you are in that spectrum between the prayer of faith and the celebration of faith. Maybe your heart is just full of thankfulness today in the Lord. Praise God for that. Or maybe your heart is just groaning in the weariness of persevering faith. Wherever you are in that spectrum, I hope, and it's our prayer, that Psalm 21 will strengthen your faith. Two clarifications as we begin this sermon is not going to exhaust the depths of Psalm 21. There's 13 verses full of rich, God-sized, God-centered truths here. And so my encouragement to you, and this really would be our encouragement as elders every time you look into a passage of scripture, let that be the beginning, for you to pursue a greater joy and wonderment of God from that text. So this might look like, consider asking somebody to join you this afternoon for lunch, and maybe one of the topics of your discussion would be some more of these themes that we're looking at this morning about God and and His strength. Or maybe if today doesn't work, maybe you can think about somebody you can have over to your home later this week. And one of your topics of discussion would be to discuss and pray about these themes that we've had together here this morning. Which, by the way, that would be one way that we as a church could live out one of our core values of community, of seeking to do each other spiritual good with loving acts of service and relationships. And one more clarification. This sermon this morning is primarily for Christians. And I know sometimes we assume that you know, if you're here in a church, that means you're a Christian, but that doesn't mean that you're a Christian just because you happen to be in a Christian church. If you aren't a Christian, you're invited to listen in. Please do. But I want you to realize that the promises and truths offered in Psalm 21 to God's people won't be true for you, at least not yet. If you've not turned from your sin and self-rule to embrace Jesus, then you can't consider yourself, at least biblically, a Christian. But if you'd like to learn more, maybe after you listen to this to this uh to what God has to say in Psalm twenty one. If you'd like to learn more about that, really please speak with anyone that looks like they belong here, because we would we would enjoy telling you more about Christ. Psalm twenty one, let's jump in with this first section. The Lord in his strength blesses. Verses really verses two through six with that opening introduction. The Psalm begins with the King of Israel, and we know it's David here because of the superscript on the Psalm to the choir master of Psalm of David. So here we have the king of ancient Israel, King David, rejoicing in the salvation that God in his strength accomplished. Notice all the you's and the yours that are in this opening section. O Lord, in your strength and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. Verse 2, you have given him his heart's desire, and you is implied here, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. Verse 3, for you meet him with rich blessings. Over and over, David is pointing us as readers to God as the one who has accomplished this victory. What are the blessings that God in his strength has given? We're going to move quickly through these blessings. The first one is in verse 2, where God gave the king his heart's desire. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. And that word selah, we think a, uh, some, uh, a function of cause, asking us as readers to just pause and consider that. Let that kind of soak into your mind. God gave the king his heart's desire. Psalm 21, verse 2, by the way, is an answer to what was prayed for Psalm 20, verse 4. And if you look at those two verses together, Psalm, 21, 4, Psalm 20, verse 4, and Psalm 21, 2, you'll see how they're connected, how they're related. In Psalm 24, he prayed, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And now Psalm 21, what does he do? He's praising God for answering that prayer. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. This is a good place for the Christians in this room to remember that God alone has the strength to truly satisfy our heart's desires. I wonder how much of our efforts last week were us working to satisfy our heart's desires and our strength instead of trusting in and delighting in the Lord to satisfy us in accord with His strength. Another reason that uh, David and Israel are exalting the Lord for His strength and blessing is the blessing of God giving the king good reputation and honor. The blessings that God gave the king are described in verses 3 through 5 with well, words like this a crown of gold, length of days, and majestic splendor. That crown of gold is likely emblematic of the honor that would be bestowed on the king, which was an open sign of God's approval of his king, of that king, and, and the people. The length of days has a strong connection to the Davidic covenant, and that's just a, the promise that God gave to David where he talks about length of days and God is fulfilling that word of promise to David and giving him the victory through his strength, the glory and splendor and majesty. You put all that together, it's the accumulative description of God blessing the king and exalting Israel as his people. And so at this point in your Bible reading or in a sermon, you might be thinking, well, great, but I haven't asked God for a crown of gold and maybe I'm asking him for long days, but maybe not. Maybe you're in the middle of a trial and you think, wow, to live another 30 years with this trial? You're thinking, those are great blessings for David, but how does that have anything to do with my life this week? Do God's people today possess any promises like God gave David in that Davidic covenant that Psalm 21 is showing us a fulfillment of, in, in part? Do God's people today have any similar kind of promise to us like David had for himself? And the answer to that is yes. In fact, there are so many promises that God has given his people that there's too many to list. But if you were to open your Bible and read Day after day, with a humble heart, hungry to see God working for your joy in Him, you're going to be overwhelmed with the blessings that He has promised to give through His strength. Here's just a couple to review this morning, maybe to get our hearts celebrating God's strength for His blessing to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're reminded that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, here's the result then. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a marvelous promise. What a way of God to show His strength to us by making a way for us to have bold access into His presence so whenever we are in need we can ask for mercy and grace. Or how about Hebrews 13.5 where God promises this, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Think about that. The comfort and strength and confidence that is promised to his people that will never, never be broken. Or James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown kind of life which God has promised to those who love him. Friends, we could spend the rest of this morning and into this afternoon just recounting the promises that God has given us that express His strength to us. What other promises God blessed through His strength here to David? Well, I think really the climax, the greatest feature of God's blessing to the king is found in verse 6, the last part of it. For you make him most blessed forever. What does it mean to be most blessed forever? Well, for David in Psalm 21, it was this. For you make him glad with the joy of your presence. The blessings of God on the king find its crescendo in the glad joy of God's presence. So the presence of God, by the way, is a central feature of all of the promises that God gave through the ancestors of Israel. So if you look at the promise God gave, Moses, God gave Abraham, one of the central features of that is his abiding presence with Abraham. And then again to Moses, it would be his abiding presence with, with the Israelite people. And the promise to David, again, he would be with David and with his, with his reign and realm through the ages. They all feature the promise of God's presence. And by the way, God has extended that promise to us as his people in this New Testament age. When he said in Matthew 28, verse 20, Look, behold, take notice of this. I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you want to get a sneak peek of what it looks like to have God's presence with you, even to the end of the age and beyond, read Revelation 21 this afternoon. And just celebrate how God is displaying his strength to you In his blessings. I wonder if we too often attempt to find our gladness and joy in something less than or other than God's presence. I know this is a constant war in my own heart, week after week. We so quickly forget and doubt what we read a few weeks ago together here on a Sunday when we looked into Psalm 16, where the psalmist is reminding us that it is God who makes known to us the path of life. In his presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's that truth in Psalm 16 that David is celebrating the experience of in Psalm 21. Think about it. Psalm 21, some of the blessings that are mentioned in this psalm are spectacular. I mean, crowns of gold and length of days and uh, and majestic splendor. But the greatest blessing is glad joy in God's presence. The many blessings of God's strength aren't the cul-de-sac where it ends. They're on-ramps intended to point the one who receives these blessings to the giver of those blessings, finding great joy in God's presence. Maybe this psalm needs to change where we are looking for ultimate joy and gladness this week. This week, you can live out Psalm 21 simply by doing this, by trusting God's strength to be capable of giving you the glad joy of His presence that's talked about in Psalm 21. Now, that's going to take faith because there's going to be hundreds of occasions where our affections are going to be drawn to worship as what's going to give us true pleasure and satisfaction other than God. But Psalm 21 is an invitation to believe that God is strong enough, He's capable of giving us the glad joy of His presence that our hearts long for. What does it look like to live that out this week? Well, maybe it looks like joining God's people on the Lord's Day for gathered worship an expression of faith that God's presence is what's going to give you the fullness of soul that your heart longs for. Or maybe it looks like opening your Bible this week and reading, submitting yourself under the mighty hand of God and going to Him to find truth that will be a comfort and give you confidence to live out the Christian faith this week. Or maybe it looks simply as casting your anxieties and cares and sorrows on Him through prayer and trusting Him to be capable of working in his strength for your joy through that circumstance. Another obvious lesson for us from this text is the simple matter of thankfulness. Psalm 20 and 21 go together, right? So without one half of it, it would be incomplete. The prayer of faith in Psalm 20 and the celebration of faith in Psalm 21. And this just simply teaches us that thanksgiving to God is an essential part of Christian worship. Like David in ancient Israel before us, giving thanks to God is one way that we bring glory to God. So if you need more convincing, read, mark this passage down to read later, Luke 17, a story of ten lepers that were healed, and there's some lessons in there about thankfulness as well. But all through the scriptures, God's people are invited, even commanded, to be a people who give thanks and celebrate the power of God's strength. Really, our mission as a church is simply stated of displaying God's glory. That's why we exist as Highlands Baptist Church, to display God's glory. What does that look like this week? How does Psalm 21 help us display God's glory? Well, we can help fulfill that mission this week every time we give thanks to God for His display of strength as He blesses us. As we keep moving through the psalm, what comes next is the king confessing his trust in the Lord. And this confession is a sort of hinge going from the blessing section to the judgment section. And so the king confesses trust in the Lord in verse 7. Which, by the way, connecting these two Psalms, 20 and 21 again, here's an easy way to remember this connection. Psalm 21.7 is the fulfillment or the answer to Psalm 27. You see that Psalm 27 reads, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 21.7 is David celebrating that God was trustworthy. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The stability... It appears that David's joy and gladness in God's presence are linked to his trust in the Lord. So what this means then is we're not going to experience the gladness of God's presence as we could if we do not trust in the Lord's strength. Joy in the Lord and trust in the Lord are linked. Think about it. It's it's not enjoyable to be with people you don't trust. I mean, what a horrible thing to do, right? I mean, Just imagine going to a dentist you don't trust. Or going to a doctor you don't trust. Or dropping off your, your car and a mechanic that you don't trust. I mean, nobody would say, you know, I'm looking for a kick today. I, I'm just going gonna, gonna to find the, worst dent- the dentist with the worst reviews and say, just mess around in my mouth for a little while. You think that's silly. When we are with people we don't trust, it's stressful, not enjoyable. And in much the same way, our joy in God is linked to our trust in God. If, if we're... If we don't think God is trustworthy, we're not going to find His presence a source of joy for us. But friends, what Steve, meant, what Steve read this morning about "Come, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and what I will give you rest." When you trust that God is true to His word, then when you are with God in, when you're aware of God's presence, whether with His people or from His word or through prayer or just as you gaze upon this, the majestic beauty of creation, or on and on it goes, and you understand He is trustworthy, there is joy there. There was joy there. Maybe one of the reasons we lack joy is because we lack trust in the Lord. Give yourself a little self-assessment of last week. What were you trusting in most? To give you the joy and gladness that you long for. Sometimes we trust in good things to give us joy. And there is good things do give us joy. That's one of the blessings that God has given The problem is that when we make good things ultimate things or when we make good things our God. And Psalm 21 is a celebration of God's strength. Here in verse 7, we learn that the source of David's confidence is through the steadfast love of the Most High. You see that in verse 7 in the last part? Through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Verse 7 teaches us that God expresses his strength through his love. One of the expressions of God's strength is through his love. So in other words, you can think of it this way. God is strong in love. I know we don't typically say that to one another, like, I love you. It sounds very kind of almost Star Wars-like. He is strong in love. But this is God's description of his strength. It's coming through in his love. And this brings us, by the way, to the core of Christianity. It's called the Gospel, the Good News of Jesus Christ, where it tells us this amazing Plan that God has accomplished, who, a God who is rich in mercy, who makes a way for sinners, which by the way is you and me, to be forgiven of our sin and to be restored back into right relationship with God. It's the steadfast love of the Lord that David is writing about and the steadfast love of the Lord has given a specific name to us. His name, is, His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came to work, lived a perfect life, took the punishment for our sins so that all who would repent and believe in Him as Lord and Savior would have the blessing of life with Him forevermore. Joy and gladness in His presence. But if you do not accept God's gift of love through Jesus Christ, then you should understand that ultimately God's strength will not be blessing you. Ultimately, you will understand God's strength in judgment. And that's where we find the next section of the psalm, in verses age through the end, we find a description of of those judgments. But before we look at that, let's just think of this. Maybe you're just disbelieving this. Maybe you think that Psalm 21 is just kind of speaking over the top. Yeah, David had a good moment, a good day, a good moment of a good day, and he's writing about crowns and splendor and life forevermore. You've had days like that too, right? But when we... They're not exaggerations because when we understand that all of those blessings that David writes about are true and yet more so for New Testament believers in Jesus. Think about it this way. Because of Jesus, Christians today are promised a crown. 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. How does God show his strength through us? Through Jesus because of Jesus, Christians are promised length of days forever and ever. That's verse 4, Psalm 21 and verse 4. John 3:16. try that one out, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or the promise given in verse 5 about splendor and glory. Because of Jesus, Christians are promised glory and splendor too. John 17, verse 22, here's just one sample. The scriptures are full of this, but John 17... Here's Jesus praying to God the Father, the glory that you have given me, I give to them that they may be one as we are one. Friends, Psalm 21 is not exaggerated. When Jesus is praying to the Father, the glory that you've given me, I pray that you would give it to them. That's glory and splendor. Unimaginable. God is strong to bless. Will you believe that Jesus is capable of that? Well, so far we've seen God's strength and blessing. We've seen the king confess his confidence in this strong one. And now we look at God's strength, the Lord in his strength, Judges, verses 8 through 12. I think we understand that for God to bring salvation to his people means he must overthrow his enemies. If the righteous are going to be saved... That necessitates, it means, it requires that the unrighteous must be judged. So the presence of God that brings the king gladness is the same presence that brings doom to those that will face his judgment, his enemies. One of the questions, maybe, who is God's enemy? Maybe you are thinking, you know, I, I kind of think God and I are kind of buds. I mean, I had this near-miss on the road the other day, and I just felt that God was there with me, protecting me from that harm. And God has done that for me on and off, you know, through the the ages. None of us live that long. Through, Through my life. Well, I'm not dismissing that God hasn't been at work protecting and providing for you. He has. Friends, the presence of God that brings the king gladness is the same presence that brings doom to his enemies, and God's enemies are simply all who oppose his rule in their life. You see, God is not just kind of a, an assistant that's, that when you pick up the red phone, then God answers. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. God does not exist so that He can make much of us. We exist because we are to make much of Him because that is who He is. He is worthy. So God's enemies are any who do not treasure Him and live in accord with His word. I mean, the descriptions of God's judgment are dreadful, by the way. You notice in verse 8, I mean, I'll just kind of summarize it, but God's judgment is all-seeing and all-knowing. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have a grade school teacher that was like that. And so are you. But God is. Verse 9, God's judgment is a blazing fire of wrath that swallows up and consumes His enemies. So well, hang on. You were just talking about a God who is strong in love, and now you're talking about a God who is strong to judge? Verse 10, God's judgment is comprehensive and final. Verse 11, God's judgment prevents evil from achieving ultimate success. So, the description of God's judgment on the wicked is a powerful comfort for the people of God. Now, if you're not a Christian, just hang in there. This will make sense in a minute, I think. But for the people of God, the promise of God's strength and judgment is a comfort because God is the one who punishes his enemies. And Jesus is the infallible judge. And God's people then are delivered from grudges and revenge. It's because God is strong in His judgment that Christians can give to Him and find rest from grudges and revenge because He is mighty. Are you consumed by revenge or enslaved by a grudge? Psalm 21 is a reminder that God is strong to judge. He is more trustworthy to make it right than you are. He is more capable to make that wrong right than you are. It takes faith. But friends, faith in a great God like this is a comfort. Instead of revenge and grudges, God's people are invited to trust in the Lord's strength. And there again, we can find gladness in God's presence. Which, by the way, if you don't believe in God, I think you're going to have some real troubles finding that kind of comfort and confidence because you will never be able to let go of that grudge of revenge, because you will feel ownership, and you will be requiring yourself to try to make it right. But friends, God has delivered us from that. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe it bothers you that God is described with these kind of terms about judgment. I mean, how in the world? See, Christians are just kind of twisted people that find joy in God judging enemies. I mean, in our present age, toleration is basically a religion of its own. And we don't have room for a God of judgment. Now, we'll make some room for a God of love, but God's judgment of the wicked, Now, nah, that's another thing. How could God who declares so much love express this kind of judgment? Or some would call hatred. But friends, hatred is not the opposite of love. Hatred is simply love for an alternate object. Hatred is a love for something else. For instance, you might hate the Oakland Raiders. Or not. <laughs> you might hate the Oakland Raiders because you love the Denver Broncos. It's been said that really the better word for an opposite of love is apathy. And I know we could discuss this in length, but just for the sake of our understanding here, apathy is maybe a better word for the opposite of love because think of it, a father cannot say he loves his child while at the same time choosing to enjoy friendship with a person who's a child predator. You you can't be apathetic about that. If you're a dad, you're going to have to rise up and protect in the same and similar way, God cannot simultaneously love his people and be apathetic towards those that would seek to harm his people. And if you're not a Christian, please listen carefully. These words of judgment against wickedness are a warning, but also an invitation. These are a warning about what God what happens to God's enemies. Take heed to his word of warning, but also understand this is an invitation To know God's strength, not in judgment against you, but know God's strength where we started in God's blessing to you through Jesus. As strong as the judgment of God is, that's the punishment Jesus took. And Psalm 21 is an invitation for you through Jesus to know God's strength to you in blessing. And so we come to the conclusion, verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. God's strength is all about God. Sometimes as Christians, we can forget that. We would like to think that God is the one who swoops in and saves the day for our circumstance and we get upset and irritated why He is not coming through like we expected. Friends, my heart wrestles with that from time to time too. But God's strength is all about God. You see, Psalm 21, if we think about it, is a celebration of God's strength for the victory that was achieved in battle. And you might say, well, I mean, Israel was the one fighting and David was the one leading, and so isn't it David and Israel that get the credit? I mean, after all, it was Saul, they said, killed the thousands, but David is ten thousands. And here's just an example of David adding more to his body count. Friends, the victory that was achieved, notice Psalm 21, gives all the credit to the Lord. All of it. God exalts Himself in His strength, and you may say, well, "I just don't feel strong. Where is God's strength in my life? I'm sick, or I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, or or you might live through these circumstances." Paul knows what that felt like, too, the apostle, and he instructs Christians that not to fret. That God is so capable, so strong, that God actually delights to take our weakness to display His strength. In fact, what Paul is writing about there in the New Testament, about our God showing his strength and our weakness, is something that God did all through the ages with ancient Israel. I mean, how often was Israel just the underdog in all these battles that we read about? I mean, you think about like the story of, of Gideon, where there was this big host, and army, and God says, no, it's too big, you're going to take credit for the victory. Trim it down. When would you have stopped trimming? God got them down to 300. The odds were absolutely... Ridiculous. And yet God was pleased to show His strength in that absurd circumstance. Because all through the ages, God's people respond to God's strength this way. Verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord. Jehovah, the great I Am. Be exalted, O Lord. In Your strength. Here's all we must do as recipients of God's strength. We will sing and praise your power. To all the Christians here today, to those who are in Christ, Psalm 21 calls us to exalt and rejoice in the strong salvation that God has accomplished for us. All of our thanksgiving to God is wrapped up in Jesus because all of God's blessings to us are mediated to us through Jesus. So the praise and thanks of Psalm 21 points our eyes upward to the source of our blessing, which is... God through Christ. And God's strength in judgment assures us that the Lamb of God who came to pay for our sins will one day return as a conquering lion.